you want to really understand the business, all aspects, not just, you know, the legal and the contractual and, you know, acquiring the rights. And, but, you know, if you're the producer, you're, you're overseeing everything and you've, you've got to understand the press and marketing, the general management, you know, obviously you're hiring other people who, who, who specialize in those areas, the casting, but you, but you, you've got to, I think the most successful producers who are people who really have an understanding of every aspect of the business. In my experience, the, the best producers are, are the ones who just are, are very involved. The art of making art is putting it together bit by bit. Welcome back. Here we are in season two, understanding and exploring the role of writers in the Broadway ecosystem. Before I get started, I did have a request from Allison Cloud. Allison, you were asking about my move to New York. And for those who don't know, I currently live in Salt Lake City and I'm making, along with my family, the move to the New York metro area. And we're thrilled. And I wanted to share that it has been in the works in a long time. We've actually taken three house hunting trips to that area. Um, and when I first started working, producing in this field, I knew that I needed to be a part of the epicenter, if you will, of where Broadway happens. And my daughter is graduating from high school. And also my son is graduating from junior high and I, my youngest is graduating from elementary school. So with all of this transition, it felt natural to make that transition now. So we're super excited. Uh, our house is listed. It's actually under contract. Uh, we have an inspector coming to you today. So it's very exciting, very involved. And we are thrilled to uh, be closer to Broadway. And also what I think I can bring to the mix is a perspective of what it's like to want to create and create in the Broadway epicenter without living there. Cause I have that lived experience too, but this will maybe uh, save some travel. Um, I hope I can maintain my sky mile status. Uh, but more importantly, uh, as a family, we, our mantra is we are better together and the long distance trips has been taxing uh, for all of us, including my good husband, David, who uh, has, as he works from home has been able to, uh, carry the load, if you will, of our family for the last couple of years. Um, and we just realized that uh, there was a season in our life when he was commuting uh, for various business things. And I know what that's like. And we just settled that we're better together. So we're excited for the adventure. Most of you know, I did my undergraduate work at Emerson in Boston. So I'm excited for the East Coast. Um, ironically, my daughter will be in the Washington DC area serving a ecclesiastical service mission. So we will all be on the East Coast time zone except for my son and his wife who are still finishing college. He's still finishing college that she's done and is working, but they are staying in Utah for a season. But grad school may be a great time to bring the entire Rasmussen clan east. So for those of you who are on the East Coast, I can't wait to be closer to you. For those of you who are not, um, I hope that I can be uh, a liaison 
liaison, as it were. And uh, if nothing else through this podcast, share the different perspective of seeing perhaps more shows and directors and designers and um, music directors and uh, actors, all of the elements that come together to make Broadway fantastic bit by bit. Here we go. Michael, you are the first return guest on Broadway's Bit by Bit podcast. We've had multiple requests to bring you back, and I understand why you're knowledgeable and it's clear you're passionate about the work, and and you're also passionate about helping others, so welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I really enjoy this. Great, great. Well, you do a great job. We uh, This season, as you know, is a deep dive into the writer's perspective, the writer's contribution to building Broadway bit by bit. So let's talk, let's just jump right in. Let's talk about granting and acquiring rights. The granting and acquiring of rights is the foundational contract. Yes? Right. Yeah, that's true. Now, now before we really jump in, I should get, like I did the last time, the you know the sort of the, the 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 disclaimer out of the way right that um i'm this is not i'm not providing any kind of specific legal advice uh this is all just sort of general informational um information that i'm providing and you know every deal is going to be a little bit different and if anyone has any specific questions or concerns or you know they should contact a a lawyer for for advice so now that we have that out of the way out of the way um but yes in so in the theater world the 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 agreement with the authors is the like you said the foundational contract that's true in other you know in film and tv but the big difference in the theater world, uh, um, generally speaking, you know, there are exceptions, but in the world of theater, the authors, the author of the play, or if it's a musical, the, the, the writers of the book, music, lyrics, the, the authors retain ownership, copyright ownership in their work, um, which is usually not the case in for film and TV projects. So given what I just said, the authors retain ownership, copyright ownership in their work, they will be the ones who will be granting some other party, a producer, presumably, or, or a theater, or, you know, will be the one acquiring the rights. And this is really the first step in any kind, in any theater project is um, if you're a producer and there's a play out there that you want to produce, the, the very first thing you need to do is make sure that you have the right, that you've acquired the rights from the authors to go forward and do it. And the, the quote, authors might not just be the people who, who wrote the book, music, lyrics, but that, that, that term can be, could also include, depending on the project, if it's a musical that's based on some other work, you know, based on a movie or based on a book, if there's a, if there's some underlying property, it's common nowadays in a lot of uh, musicals on Broadway. You know, jukebox musicals that use pre-existing music. You know, songs that are not written originally written solely for that particular musical. You'd have to go out and get the rights to that to those pre-existing songs. That usually means dealing with 
various music publishing companies. Um, you know, the big ones are Universal and Warner Chapel. Yes, that that's that that's the that's the that's definitely the starting point is acquiring the rights, and then what that means we can get into in the various <laughs> points that are involved with that. Well, Michael, uh, you. I know a lot of writers who are actually like interested in uh, creating a musical based on the music or the body of music of, you know, a famous person. Can you, in your experience, can you talk through like what would be the first two steps for a writer interested in incorporating somebody else's music into a musical? How would they go about doing that? I'm sure you do that all the time. I have a lot of projects that that involve going out and getting rights in in pre-existing songs, and. Like I said, you'd have to go and and deal with the music publishing companies, and what we're talking about is is getting the 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 right to use those songs in a live stage production. You're not going to get a broad grant of rights. It's usually very limited. If you're if you're doing the acquiring, you want to get as broad a, um, a grant of rights as possible, and the um, the one granting the rights typically wants to limit it and, um, you know, to certain productions or certain territories of the world, certain languages. Um, and that's where there's this negotiation back and forth, you know, how extensive will the grant of rights be? And, and the grant can, 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 be, can go beyond just live stage. It can include, you know, audiovisual productions, merchandise, cast albums, podcasts, cruise ship productions. It's similar to to acquiring the rights from uh, the authors of a musical in that there will typically be some upfront option payment. There will be a royalty, a, a credit provision, a billing credit, not the same sort of credit that the authors were getting. It, it would not be a title page in the playbill. When you're dealing with pre-existing music, it's usually somewhere on the further back in smaller type in the back of the playbill, there might be a page that just lists, that gives the, the credits for, for the pre-existing music. The song, let's say if, if it's an entire catalog of songs, like for example, MJ, you know, this Michael Jackson musical, uh, and there's plenty of other examples, you know, recent examples on Broadway, the Cher musical. And, and, but if you're talking about an entire catalog of songs from one artist, you're, that's an easier thing to deal with in terms of the obtaining the rights. Then you're, then you're probably just dealing with one music publisher, maybe two. On the other hand, if you have a, if you have a musical like the stage production of Moulin Rouge, I mean, I know the people who dealt with getting the the rights for for all of those various pre-existing songs, and I forget now how many songs there were. I mean, maybe it was uh, over a hundred. I might be wrong about that, but it was, and and many of them don't use the entire song. There might just be a little snippet, ten seconds, fifteen seconds. Some of them might use thirty seconds, a minute. Um, but that involved going out to many, many different parties, different music publishers. Um, and and you want to and it, you know you can't just be dealing in a vacuum. They it, this all has to be sort of a coordinated effort. So you want all of them to kind of agree to the same terms on a pro rata basis, most favored nations basis. Well, let's say you have a musical that's a mix of some 
you might have some original songs and then maybe there's four or five pre-existing. Generally, the way that would work is the overall royalty for the music and lyrics. Let's say it's, you know, t the standard on Broadway would be a four and a half percent of the gross box office receipts subject to a royalty pool calculation. But put that aside for a second. But let's say it's four and a half percent of the gross. That's for all of the music and lyrics. If let's say there's 20 songs, but five of them, um, you know, a quarter of them are, are pre-existing songs, then those pre-existing songs would get a quarter of the four and a half percent. And the composer lyricists of the new original songs would get 75%. So it, it get the, the total overall royalty wouldn't increase. It would just get split up among the various songwriters. You know, Michael, as you talk through these specifics, it's just a reminder that each deal is different, that each particular arrangement and um, the amount of songs or the amount of pre-existing material or the underlining material can vary with each project. And uh, one should consult an attorney like yourself, and specifically an entertainment attorney, to understand the nuances of each deal. Uh, but what we're hearing is that rights can also be broken down into uh, I also heard you said you could be broken down into different bundles. You can not all the rights are granted the same. You have a first class right or second class rights or various territories or U.S. or English speaking uh, English language speaking countries or international cruise ships. So um, if if one has a project they're interested in either in producing or as an investor trying to pull together some elements, they should at least be aware that their the writers need to have permission to use the underlining rights. That would be our very first step. And then for that producer uh, to be able to acquire those rights from the authors. Is that is that a fair summation? Yeah, I, I, that that's true. Now, if there's an underlying property involved, sometimes the the authors of the of the musical could be a play, play or musical. I'm, I'll just stick with musicals for, for purposes of this discussion. Sometimes the authors will take it upon themselves and go out and acquire the rights from the underlying in the underlying property. Um, usually not, because that can be pretty expensive. It can it can take up a lot of time, legal fees, and it off it can be a pretty lengthy negotiation. But not always, and it depends on the property. If it's a big, if it's a well-known sort of big Hollywood movie. Uh, and you're dealing with one of the one of the major Hollywood movie studios, then that's going to be a lengthier negotiation and probably cost a lot more. It could be it could easily be twenty, thirty, or even up to fifty thousand dollars per year for you know for each twelve month option period. And as you know, you know get, getting you know it's a long process. the The development of a of a stage musical takes time. From the time you first go out and acquire the rights, especially if you're starting with underlying rights and with, in a, with, a, with a studio, then you've got to get the rights from the authors and the, the, the play has to be written. And there's you know a developmental process. There could be readings and workshops and a production at a not-for-profit theater. And it, could, it takes several years, probably four or five years 
at a minimum and sometimes takes seven, eight, nine years or I mean, some projects have been in development for 10 years or more. Of course, in recent years, we, you know, we, we had the industry shut down because of the pandemic. But even putting that aside, it, it can really take, you know, a significant amount of time, many years to develop a project. So if you're and if you've got to be paying option payments for all of those years, it can really add up. Um, and option payments not only to the studio, but then there's a, there would be separate payments to the to the authors. I should maybe just point out, you know, so so when there is an under and not you know not all projects have an underlying property. You could have a completely original play that's not based on any any other property, and then you wouldn't have to deal with getting underlying rights. Where there is an underlying rights owner involved. The, the typical formula, you, often the underlying rights owner is, is thought of as the, quote, fourth department, with the, you know, the, the, the original three departments being book, music, lyrics, you know, if it's a musical. And then you have the underlying rights, which is, you know, considered the fourth department. So if you take the, the, the aggregate royalty that's paid to the book, book writer, composer, lyricist, and underlying rights, that gets split up usually, not always the case, but usually it's shared 25% each. So you combine, you take the total amount, the aggregate royalty that's paid to the authors, book, music, lyricist, underlying rights, and that gets split up, you know, 25% each. That's the basic sort of formula in terms of the, you know, the split between authors and underlying rights owner. That's helpful. I know writers are interested, authors are interested in what um, what that split can be. There also can be really well-versed. Many are part of the Dramatist League and understand uh, those nuances. If you were, um, Michael, if you had a client who said, I want to go after the rights for this song and I need to um, approach one of these uh, publishing houses, like what... What can they do to help make their application for those granting of rights appealing? Or, or is it all about the option? Is it about the teams that's put together? Is it about the writer? If you're, uh, you know, a, an emerging writer, like what, what's your tips for making a case to be the one that would be able to receive these granting rights for a project? Yeah, um, good, very good question. I think the the couple of things to keep in mind. In my experience, the music publishers, the last thing on their mind is dealing with the theater world. Uh, although now it's becoming more and more common and, and many of the major music publishers now have dedicated people on staff who deal with theater and are, are becoming more familiar with the standard sort of customary terms in, in the theater industry. So that's helpful. But still, when you think about all of the various, the, the, the music publishing companies are dealing with um, the use of these songs for all sorts of other purposes outside of theater, in, in motion pictures, in 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 TV, in advert, t in television ads. Think about it, the next time you're just sitting back watching TV, and you and and ads, all sorts of ads, commercials pop up. Pay attention to the music that's in the background on these TV ads, and often there are they are known songs that you'll recognize, and 
it's not like they just decided, oh, you let's use this song in our ad. They had to go out and get the rights to do that and probably pay a pretty hefty amount of money to use those ads in, in TV commercials. So to use songs in a, in a Broadway show, it's, it's, it's not something that these music publishers are really, it's not like at the top of their mind. Um, but to your question, what would make an application more appealing? I think you want to spell it out. You want to send a, a, a written proposal that's really well organized and spelled out and with clear points, bullet points or numbered points with a clear summary, just with a description. This is where we, you know, we want to acquire the right to use this song in this particular musical, maybe give a little summary. Here's what the show is about. A lot of times they'll ask, how will this song be used? Give us a description of the of the specific scene in the show. Um, wh what's happening in this scene and how would the song be used? Um, often they are going to want to know that this that the lyrics will not be changed, or they want to have they want approval over any change in the lyrics. The music publishers tend to be um, they want approval over any use of the song outside of live stage. It, for example, any promotional use in advertisements, TV and radio ads, um, very strict limits on the amount of time, certain only a certain number of seconds, 10 or 15 seconds. You know, you can't use the song in its entirety. Usually that's usually one of the rules. So, but I would say to, to get your best shot of getting this approved, you want to provide as much information as possible up front. Let them know if there are any other pre-existing songs. Um, they're going to want assurance that all music publishers are being treated on a favored nations basis. No one's getting a, you know, a better deal, a more favorable deal. Um, let them know the specific, you know, the standard royalty in the theater world. Um, if it's a Broadway show, four and a half percent. Um, with the the you know the usual calculation for a royalty pool or net operating profits, um, they basically want to know that that they're being treated the same as as the composer and lyricist. That, that, that you know they'll get their pro rata share of the overall royalty for for music and lyrics. Um, that, that would be my advice. You want to be as specific as possible, give them as much information as possible, spell it all out in a very clear written proposal. Uh, that, that'll, that'll be a big help. They'll probably still come back with questions. And in my experience, they tend to be very slow to respond. Again, this is not like the, this is not high priority for them, you know. Um, but I think that's, that's, the, that's a good place to start. You know, I saw this, uh, you, you talked about paying attention to just our, the commercials on the TV or what's happening. I, I saw this in a micro sense. We just, as this is being recorded, we just had Mother's Day and I got a Mother's Day card and it played music. Mm -hmm. And the music was Mom song by Megan Trainer, And I was like, somewhere there has to have credit to her. And sure enough, on the back of the card was listed the writers of the song, the publishing house, like all of the details. And it wasn't, we timed it, it was 15 seconds of the song. But you're right, everything, it, we give credit where it's due. It's just, it's appropriate. It's part of 
um, yeah, I, I'm not going to pretend to understand the nuances of the uh, WGA strike, but I like just appreciating the art of creating in all forms and giving credit to everybody, I think is, is at the core of granting and acquiring rights. So uh, very good. Yeah, very good. Absolutely. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about Michael, the, the writer producer relationship. You have worked with a number of producers and engaged through this project, through this process of granting and acquiring rights, um, seeing the relationship between producers and writers or authors and producers like what's uh what are your tips for creating the best relationship between an author and a producer it's all about transparency and communication and honesty the authors want to know that their voices are being heard they want to be i mean you know in the theater world the authors will they will always be part of the process they're critical but you know you don't want to have a producer that's just going to go off and there's certain contractual approval for example there's certain contractual rights that authors would have um and at a minimum they would have the right to you know approval rights over the director the designers basically all the members of the creative team the orchestrator but the the authors maybe wouldn't have approval over for example the the advertising and marketing um, plan, and and but even though they don't have a contractual approval right, um, the best relationships between producers and authors are where the, a producer will keep those authors in the loop, keep them informed about what's happening at at every stage, and and. Uh, even to the point of, you know, let them know what, okay, this is the logo that we've come up with. Now, I will say that this is outside of my, you know, as a lawyer, I'm often not involved. I'm not, you know, I'm 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 involved at the point of dealing with the contract, you know, getting the rights, getting it in writing and getting signed. But there's so much that goes on outside of, you know, I'm not involved in those, you know, day-to-day communications that happen you you would be able to speak a lot more to that you know <laughs> well I, i'm just laughing because michael i feel like what part of what makes you so good at your job is your encouragement to me of make sure that the writers know this and you better remind them of this like encouraging me to keep um all the writers in the loop because the writer's job is very can be very specific as is the producers and we need each other but i also appreciate the reminder to make sure that we as we're going down our own path that we have really important intersecting point so you know the the relationship that a producer has with a show can continue on for many many years after that show closes and what i mean is again going back to what i said earlier the the in the theater world the authors generally retain copyright in their work a producer comes along and acquires the right to produce that show again what the the particular rights that an author acquires are going to be limited the, you know but so let's say that producer um produces the show on broadway um it may be successful it may be not or someone in, somewhere in between maybe it's not a mega hit show that runs for 10 years but maybe it runs for a, a couple years on broadway maybe maybe it's maybe it even recoups um or comes close to recouping. Um, but that, if the show runs for a few years on Broadway, it will, um, 
that producer would have put in a great deal of time and money and effort to um, increase the value of that property. That, that musical, which maybe no one in the world ever heard of, and then this producer came along and, and with the help of investors, put up a lot of money, developed it, you know, had a whole developmental process, readings, workshops, brought it all the way to Broadway. Maybe it ran for a couple of years on Broadway, and now it's a known product. <laughs> As a result, that producer's production may have closed, but that show will go on. The authors who own the copyright and the work will be able to go out and license productions of that show Maybe, maybe maybe there's another commercial production somewhere down the line in the future, or maybe not commercial productions, but stock and amateur productions. What we refer to in the industry as subsidiary right productions, um, which, and there can be subsidiary rights is a broad term that refers to really any future disposition, live stage or audiovisual, film, TV, but. The, the world of stock and amateur productions in the U.S. in particular is, is a, a very big industry. Um, high, smaller productions, high school productions, community theaters, regional theaters, um, and it can, it can generate quite a significant amount of money. And the commercial producer, the one who produced the show on Broadway and with that production that ran for a couple of years, that producer will be entitled to receive a certain percentage of the author's future income. Um, the theory, the rationale being that the producer, um, like I said, added value to, 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 the, to the property by, by developing it and running it on Broadway for several years. So when I said that that relationship can continue for a long time, it can, the producer may be participating in as much as up to 40% of the author's future income for um, for many, many years, um, you know, going forward, 10 years, up to 20 years. Under the Dramatist Guild APC, um, it could be as much as up to 40 years. Now, now, Michael, I just, we've had these conversations, and this can be a real sticking point for writers, that this is their livelihood, that this, why should they be sharing any future rights with a producer? Like, uh, what, I, I kind of sometimes feel as a producer, like, what did the producer do? I'm the one that blood, sweat, and tears wrote these words on the page. Um, why would I be sharing the rights? Um, what do you say to that? I would say to the author, you likely would not have the income to share or you'd have a, a, a much le a, a much lesser amount if not for this producer who came along and produced the show on Broadway. Yes, it's true. You're sharing um, a, a significant percentage of your income, but you might not have any of that income if, if, if it wasn't for, for, for the Broadway production. It's interesting, Michael, and this is uh, as we try to demystify or, or have candid conversations. I think there's a, a misconception that producers 
um, two things. One, do it for the money and one, do it for the money to have a lot of money. Um, at this stage, when a show is being developed, I feel like I'm on the same page as the writer. <laughs> That's kind of a funny pun, but as the writer is doing their work as a producer without any income or any, you know, payout, I am getting investors and trying to help support the development of the show. Neither of us are making any money. And so it's not until the show um, actually gets to a stage, then once it's recouped from the investors, that's this three, you know, three part of the triangle, right? Then there's able to um, have, make sure that everyone who has been valued for their time, putting it into the process. So yes, you've said it. And um, I hope I don't get angry emails from people who say, those big bad producers are just trying to steal everything for the writers. No, but you're, but you're, you, you, you are correct that as a producer, um, during that entire developmental process, up until the point where, where the show is actually up and running in a commercial production in front of a paying audience, um, there can be many years where you're putting in a, a significant amount of your time, often your own money. Some there might be some money raised by investors, but um, it's a tremendous amount of effort, time and effort that producers put in um, during that developmental process without, with no payment upfront. Right, uh, that's true. And so yeah, there's and so you there should be a payment. You know, if you can get to the point where the show is where you can capitalize it and, and, and get it in front of a, a you know, commercial production uh, and selling tickets to a paying audience. Now, I will say just to slightly um, modify something you just said a minute ago, um, it's not necessarily that you have to wait until, as a producer, you will start to get paid before the show recoups. Um, and that same is true for the authors. Because once once the show begins performances from day one, um, you're selling tickets and performances begin. It could still be another year or two years before the show recoups, or the show may never recoup. But even if the show never recoups, once performances begin, there will be um, a royalty that gets paid to the authors and to the producer. So there's typically there's there's typically different forms of compensation that go to the producer. There's the producer gets a royalty just like the authors and all of the other members of the royalty pool. The the creative royalty participants what that generally includes the author, authors plural, um, the director, the choreographer, sometimes the de the designers could be in the pool or not the orchestrator, arranger, the producer, um, and underlying rights owner, if there is an underlying rights. So from day one of the start of, perform of performances, there's there's a, a royalty. Producers usually um, pay themselves an, an executive producer fee. Um, so that's usually just a flat dollar amount, uh, you know, a weekly amount that could be it, you know, it depends if it's Broadway or off-Broadway. For a Broadway musical, that, that executive producer fee is usually three, four, could be $5,000 a week. That's in addition to the royalty. Um, so those are the, you know, there's forms of producer compensation that get paid. Then once the show recoups, then, then, then you're getting a share of the profits. 
And can we talk about the we we talk about the option, but I want to make sure that listeners know how the writers are being taken care of. When we talk about granting and acquiring rights, there is an exchange of um, money in that part of granting and acquiring rights, right? Paying the authors for the option period, whether and then the extension of that option period. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So there's there's an right. So there's an option. <laughs> which which means that you have a certain amount of time, a certain period of time, the option period, to get the show up and running and produce it. Now, these are usually broken down in periods of 12 months. Sometimes they might be 18 months or even or even 24 months. But I'll just say the, the you know the standard, the dramatist guild standard under the uh, approved production contract APC. Um, the initial 12-month period, there's the option payment is $18,000. These are very outdated numbers. The APC has not been updated in like 30 years, maybe even 35 years, something like that. And so, you know, there 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 may be a negotiate. The producer and the authors may negotiate a greater amount, but that's the minimum: $18,000 to the authors for the initial 12-month period. Again, that's the authors alone not including an underlying rights owner now you're not going to get the show up and running in one year you're going to need more time than that you're going to need two three four years five years so then there's going to be an additional payment to extend for a second year and another payment to extend for a third year and typically that um that option applies just for the initial territory let's say it's the united states and canada if you if you want to produce the show in the uk or in foreign territories there would typically be you know additional option periods for foreign territories but let's just we're just focused on the us there'd be an an initial upfront option payment for a particular period of time those payments are usually recoupable against the 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 royal the future royalties um, those payments, I'll just say those, you know, this is not like the movie industry where there's a much, much higher payment up front. In the theater world, the upfront payments, and for an off-Broadway, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, for an off-Broadway production or smaller production, the upfront payment may be only a couple thousand dollars or something, or, you know, could be 2,500, could be maybe 5000 but it's it's much smaller but even in, even for a broadway production $18,000 is not a huge amount of money the, the 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 basic structure in the theater world is low upfront payments and if the show's a hit then the real significant money comes on the back end that you know that's the, the, the it's it's a back end business the theater <laughs> in general Thank you for that clarification. Uh, last question, Michael. So we've talked about uh, granting and acquiring rights as the foundational contract. We've talked about um, how rights can be broken down into different bundles. We've also talked about the writer-producer relationship, which really comes down to communication and respect for each other. Um, and then uh, we talked also about the specifics of the monetization for both parties. Um, Michael, you have represented both authors and producers. If you were speaking to authors, what would be your advice in working with a producer? 
Yeah, it's so yeah, I, it's true. I've been I've represented both sides. I mean, you want to have a, a a a productive, a good, successful, productive relationship, and everyone benefits if in if that's the case and the show can move forward. I find it's never really productive to get. You don't want to get too contentious. You know that that's that's not going to benefit anyone. However, you know, depending on who I'm representing, if I'm representing authors, then and there's a certain framework that we work in within the industry. There are certain terms that are just sort of understood, that are standard, and you know, you can push the limits a little bit one way or the other. And it's a, and it also depends on the particular property and who the who the clients are. Um, if, you, if if these are first-time authors that have never been produced before and you know in you know relatively inexperienced, that's going to change the deal. Versus you know if you're dealing with you know the Stephen Sondheims of the world, you know um, Tony Award winners or you know so th those are those are all factors to take into account. But in general, if I'm representing the authors, I'm going to want the I'm going to want to limit the option period to as little time as possible with and I'm going to want to try to get as much payment as possible the the producers want the opposite they want to get the greatest amount of time for the lowest possible amount of payment you know and so that's where and you know you that's where the negotiation is and you try to meet in the middle and you you meet somewhere in the middle um and the same is true for all the other ma major, you know, deal points. The royal, the royalty really hardly gets. There's not much negotiation. There's sort of just the accepted. But there, there are variations on the royalty which do get negotiated, which we probably don't have time to get into. But you know, amortization, um, which is a mechanism which allows the producer to pay back the investors faster than they otherwise would and achieve recoupment faster and the tr in order to do that they pay the authors and all the other royalty participants a little bit less they pay their investors back faster they reach recoupment and then the authors and the other royalty participants get an extra bonus after recoupment that's the basic summary of how amortization usually works to your to your point, if I'm if I'm representing the authors, um, I want to get greater approval rights. I want to get you know maybe I try to get a greater you know billing credit. I you know I'm 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 not I'm I'm gonna want their credit to appear, you know basically everywhere wherever the title appears. If I'm representing the producer, there are certain exceptions to the billing credit. You know that. You know, they're they're not going to get billed on maybe not on the marquee or not on certain types of advertising, not on outdoor billboards or outdoor advertising, not in certain print ads that are very small. You know, smaller than a quarter page. Th these are all sort of um, deal points that get negotiated. So where and when the the billing appears. Um, outside of just on the title page of the playbill, that's something where there's a back and forth, you know, negotiation. You know, even the subsidiary rights. You know, you might want to there'd be a negotiation on when, if it's a first class Broadway production, there's not much to negotiate. You basically just go by the the Dramatists Guild APC. But for an off Broadway, a smaller production, 
that's going to be a negotiation. If I'm representing the author, uh, the authors, I'm going to want before the producer can even begin to vest um, in in a subsidiary rights participation. I want to make sure that the producer has actually presented a certain number of performances in front of a paying audience. And now that number, maybe it's 16, maybe it's 21 performances, 24 or more. Um, and these are things that get negotiated. And they wouldn't start out right right off the bat with a full participation, um, you know, 30 or 40 percent. They would start at a lower percentage, 10 percent, and then build build up based on the number of performances that they present. Um, you know, if I'm on if I'm on the other side of that negotiation, if I'm representing a producer, I'm going to want that participation to be as much as possible. Um, and for as long as possible, you know, the greatest possible number of years. Um, and the opposite is true if I'm representing the authors. So, um, and you know, almost every one of the other theater lawyers who I work with in the industry have, they've also been on both sides of this negotiation, representing authors in some cases and producers and the other, uh, you know, so we all know, you know, what, 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 how this negotiation is going to play out, but you know, you go through it and you eventually reach a, reach common ground. Did I, I hope that was helpful. Did I answer that question? Yeah, you really did. And I, you know, as we, we wrap up this conversation, I mean, if if people can't tell by listening, to work with you is to work with a wealth of knowledge. And I would highly encourage people to contact Michael Cinder when you have a project and you need counsel on how to make through uh, all of these different points from various perspectives. If you are the author, make sure you are aware of the negotiating points and the approvals and what the subsidiary rights could be. If you are the investor, make sure the producer has acquired the rights. If you are the producer, make sure that the first thing that you've done is acquire the rights so that you can move forward and have uh, a good relationship with the writers because together that's how we, we create the beautiful work that we do on this big, beautiful, colorful way, Broadway. So yeah. thank you, Michael Sinda. You get the last word, um, advice or caution or um, encouragement. What would you like to say? I, I, I would just encourage anyone who is, wants to get into this business, um, whether a producer or a writer or, or, or in any other aspect, you know, do it. It's great. Um, it, it's, it's, um, it can be a little daunting. But go for it. It's it's um, it's such a wonderful art form, um, and you know I work primarily in the world of commercial theater. But you know there are so many not-for-profit theater companies, community theaters. You know all, all over, all over the country. And you know get started in in one way, get your foot in the door, however you can. I I just think um, it's a great business to be in. That's those are my parting words. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us today. Great to be here. Thanks.